back, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. We're just past the fifth anniversary of Prince's death. We're going to do a deep dive into his career. This is the beginning of a two and maybe even three-part series. Part two will publish in the regular time one week from today, and part three may just be a bonus episode we drop later on. I'm joined again by Ian, who we did the Nilsson episode with, and that one came out really well, too, if you didn't have a chance to track it down yet. Feel free to email me at needssomeintroduction at gmail.com. I'll email you a form and you can fill it out and you can request a recommendation. If you find us on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a five-star rating or a review. It helps grow our podcast. And please feel free to recommend this to anybody who likes podcasts or especially if they are Prince fans. If you've been watching Mayor of Easttown with us, the recap shows are in our feed and are actually our most popular episodes. So hopefully you guys are watching along and feel free to recommend it to anyone who may be watching those episodes. It's not too late to catch up. We're only in the middle of the season. There are four more episodes to go. So without further delay, let's get into the episode. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into Prince. We're going to do, cover a lot of ground. This is a huge, huge artist. So uh, I have Ian with me again. Ian, by the way, the Nilsson hit, uh, podcast is a hit, by the way. It still gets plays like every day. We're still getting a couple plays here and there. So it's, uh, I think people are interested in Nilsson. I think it just keeps dri- dribbling in. There's more, more and more uh, 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 listeners. And from all over the world, by the way, we have listeners in like six countries now. So. Oh, wow. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 And actually, it is kind of funny too. There is a um, pretty active fan community. So, the challenge I came up with Prince is so prolific. And I mean, younger audiences, I think you only know like one or two songs of his. But, you know, I grew up in the heyday of Prince, and it's like there's so many songs. It's like 40, 50 songs that either he performed or he wrote for other people that are like were, were massive massive hits like all over the radio back in the day so he was like all over the place especially for like there's like a three four year period when he was just everywhere so first of all i'm curious to hear from you what your experience is but just kind of like set up what the challenge was we made each other playlists and the criteria was to kind of dodge the giant hits and uh so we could have a a, a conversation kind of you know um, out of the context of, of these you know the, the mega hits that he had but uh, so that's all kind of table setting. So you specifically, Ian, like what's your relationship with Prince? Where you were, for, when were you first introduced to him? And, you know, when did you become a fan? So I'm a little bit younger than you are. So when he was really, um, you know, ubiquitous, uh, his huge stretch in the 80s, I was a bit too young um, to be listening to Prince, uh, frankly. Um, so I actually really first got exposed to him via the batman um movie uh the soundtrack that he did for that yep um and then also the first um like 
video I really distinctly remember seeing was the video for uh, Seven, which appealed to me. I, you know, I was, I think, maybe nine or something um, when that came out. Um, but it reminded me of the movie The Labyrinth, and it's just kind of this weird um, visual, like very kind of mystical and interesting. So those were like the two kind of entry points for me as far as Prince goes. And then, um, you know, growing older and getting into my teenage years, I started um, getting into his stuff more and more. Um, Shockadelica, uh, that B-Sides collection, uh, was one of the first records I actually bought of his. Um, and then I just basically kind of went back through his entire discography and uh, really have been a huge fan uh, ever since. So. I uh, I didn't have MTV, so I had kind of missed um, even 1999. You know, although I did like Little Red Corvette, I remember liking that. But uh, when uh, when Dove's Cry came out, that like completely knocked my socks off. You get so used to something, you hear it so often that you forget like that that um, the shock of it at the time. You know, and uh, I try to you know convey that to people, and, and I'm actually going to play a little bit of it here because I just remember like the first time hearing it on the radio, like you know. Uh, radio was pretty bland at the time and then all of a sudden um, this is on the radio suddenly you know And it's, it's so weird because it's like, not only was it just this bizarre thing to be getting played on the radio at all, but it's the fact that, um, you know, I didn't even know this, like sophisticated enough to understand the musical side of it, but just hearing it on the radio was so strange. And then that it became this massive hit. Like it was the best selling single of that year. It was the ma you know, one of the biggest selling singles of multiple years thereafter. And uh, so it's so strange that this song that really doesn't sound like everything else and, it's, it, it, and, like, and that people really wanted to hear this, right? And it was pretty crazy. And, uh, and another thing I think is so funny about it, now that I'm a little more sophisticated about it, is that it's so strange, even now, to hear it, because it's got no bass line, but it's basically a dance song. It has like a heavy metal guitar, which was not like what you would hear in pop music at the time, obviously. I mean, Jump by Van Halen uh, had been number one just a few weeks before this movie, this uh, song came out. And uh, it was completely watered down versus Van Halen's normal sound, right? So, uh, but, but he was going on there with a straight up guitar, you know, heavy metal guitar and getting a number one hit, a massive number one. So it was like very interesting that he somehow hit the zeitgeist at that moment. You just embodied that um, that drum programming, uh, which you know, uh, making electronic music myself is just another really cool cool aspect um, of his sound. So that's my entry point, and I wanted to play a little bit of Limbus Cry, obviously throwing that in there. But now we can kind of use this as an excuse to kind of go through his biography. I think we're going to go through his playlists or our playlists in chronological order, and then. Um, we can talk about our uh, experience with each one of these. And then I'll throw some biographical bits in there to, so people can get to know Prince a little bit. As, I mean, he's an enigma, so as much as you can get to know him. Right. And people, believe it or not, may know his biography, even if they don't, haven't read up on it. Because um, have you seen Purple Rain, the actual movie, Purple Rain? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The reason I mention that is because like Purple Rain, even though he didn't write the script, but I guess he you know, collaborated with whoever wrote the script, 
is actually extremely autobiographical. I mean, it's a pretty cheesy movie, by the way, although the live performances, whenever he's performing on stage is magnetic, but the rest of the movie is pretty cheesy. But the bi biographical elements are actually true. Like, you know, his dad was a jazz musician. Um, uh, him and his sister, you know, his sister's not really in the movie, but him and his sister were like really into music. They kind of use that to like, you know, get to get close with the, with the dad. Um, uh, and then he, uh, you know, basically had a falling out with his dad. His mom remarried um, and uh, apparently got along with his stepfather well, but his half brother, um, he did not get well along with him at all. So at, the, at some point he was bouncing around between his mom's house and his dad's house. And then eventually couldn't get along with either one of them or each household for whatever reasons and ended up like living in his friend's basement and his friend, they started playing music together and he introduced him to somebody who eventually he made a demo by the time he's only 17 years old when he makes his first demo, it's not successful, but then he gets a second demo and like the second demo, like they start a bidding war with Warner brothers. And, uh, he's like 18 years old at the time. And uh, Warner Brothers, uh, he was in there very cocky. And he's like, I'm going to be the biggest thing in the world. And you guys have to pay me. And Warner, and he goes, and I get to have full creative control. And it's a seven album contract, basically. Oh, wow. And uh, and Warner Brothers laughed in his face. And they said, sure, whatever. <laughs> like, what, what do they have to lose? This, You know, they're Warner Brothers. And he's this like pipsqueak, right? Like five foot two, right? And uh, so so the, his biography is actually pretty close to what you see in uh, Purple Rain. Uh, and the other thing that's interesting about him too, his biography, is that this is something that this is me psychoanalyzing him through his music, but uh, I think it comes up over time. Is I think he was interesting because he was an introvert that presented as an extrovert, and even back in school, because he was, believe it or not, he was on the football team because he was very fast, so he's actually like a, a tight end or something, yeah, yeah, something like that, or or back of some kind probably. And he was a basketball player, which everybody knows because there's all those stories about him playing basketball in the middle of the night against uh, celebrities <laughs> and uh, in high heels. Uh, and uh, uh, so he was a basketball player. He played varsity basketball. Uh, and everybody said he was really funny. Like, you know, he's a very, he, he makes a lot of jokes when you ever see him in interviews and stuff like that. He's very funny, his lyrics. But apparently he was like a real class clown in school. But when he was home, apparently he would just hole up in his, in his bedroom and play like guitar or whatever all night long until he became like, you know, he basically had a really high bar for himself, which maybe came from his dad being a very proficient jazz musician. But um, but anyway, it's a very interesting that he was someone who was very extroverted, but probably very introverted, actually. Right. So it's an interesting duality uh, from him. And I think that's why he's kind of enigmatic. Right. He's like so flamboyant, but probably like very shy at the same time. Yeah. So it's a, it's a weird combination of, of, of things. Very interesting mix. And I think you're. Um pretty spot on there um because you know he was able to control his image uh yep. to such a high degree that you know the real prince is something i think that not many people really ever you know in public uh interacted with in right. many ways so um yeah i think that definitely tracks um with his music and uh you know his persona for right. sure that, that's an interesting thing too. I was trying to track this down last night and I could not, but there was, um, after he died, right after he died, he was working on a autobiography with a writer and it came out, uh, it, it, partial because most of it's, it's actually his lyrics, like, uh, written in longhand, but with like an intro from his biographer and, uh, the biographer excerpts some interviews he had with him, which were very rudimentary because he was only a couple months into this autobiography process when, uh, Prince unfortunately died five years ago, just last week, actually. Um, but, um, uh, with, with, um, 
Oh yeah, but the thing that's interesting in there is one of the excerpts he has in there is Prince talking about his persona. And I wish I had the quote because it was really powerful. I think it's kind of unlocked something about his persona, which is that he was basically saying that his job as a you know, star was to basically create this character. And then he needed to like be that character to the public. Like that, it was his job. His job was to perform that character at all times because like people were living through him vicariously through his character. But that character was simply a character that he was projecting. Mm. And I mean, Bowie did it back in his time too. Like, I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's not, he's not the only one, right? So Yeah, and a long, kind of in a, uh, a long tradition really of that kind of myth-making uh, and controlling that yourself. Um, he's definitely one of the uh, innovators of that, I would say, in, in modern music for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Going back to the, the beginning, you know, he has this, this, these issues. He's, he's potentially this kind of introverted high schooler. <laughs> he like lands this Warner Brothers contract. And then, you know, he has that first album, which is modestly successful. He has a couple of big R&B hits. The album doesn't really sell great, but uh, Warner Brothers is pretty happy. You know, he, like he played on American Bandstand. He had top five, top 10 R&B hits. So he's doing pretty well. And that's probably all they ever thought he was going to be, regardless of how big his ego was. Um, I don't think that Warner Brothers was thinking this guy is going to be a massive, massive star. But one year later, he's so prolific. He knocks an album out literally every single year for like 30 years in a row. Uh, his The very next year, he comes out with his second album, which is just the one called Prince, like you said. And he scores a number one R&B song and a top 10, I Want to Be Your Lover, which is a huge hit. Um, uh, and he has on that same album, he has other hits as well on that, minor hits on there. But uh, uh, the big one that he has is I Feel For You, uh, not a hit at the time, but of course becomes a giant hit for Chaka Khan a few years later when she covers it. And, um, but the song I have off this album that I want to play, finally getting back to the playlist, is a song called Bambi, which he desperately wanted to make into a hit. This is like the B-side of every single single he released off that album. And it didn't break out on its own. It didn't, you know, I think somewhere in Europe, it, it became a hit. But I'm amazed to see the proficiency he has a guitar this early on, you know, just at 19 years old or 20, probably at this point. But um, this song, Bambi, and here it is. Now, first of all, this guitar line is very, this sounds like Kiss right now for me. <laughs> and maybe Heart with the vocals too.
Eddie Hazel, uh, the guitarist for Parliament Funkadelic, I think was an influence on Prince. I haven't read that, but just the, the tones he goes for are, are kind of reminiscent yeah. of him and, you know, obviously Hendrix. But the other thing there, which I think it, it comes up again more in another song, but you can hear the uh, influence also of um, Larry Graham specifically in the bass playing in a lot of Prince's work. And they actually later went on to work together, too. As did he with uh, Parliament, uh, with um, um, uh, George, Clinton. George Clinton, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah so he, he's a huge, huge uh, um, a Parliament fan. That's why I was uh, curious to know if you had uh, listened to his first album, uh, because he's, it's a huge, um, it's, it's, it's not as aggressive as Parliament tended to be. I mean, it's, they're more popular songs, but uh, it is a very, it's like a straight up funk album, right? And it's very much influenced by, um, by Parliament, but... Uh, yeah, no, so definitely you're you're onto something there because there's no doubt that he's a hugely influenced by them. So the um uh the next song, uh chronologically, I think we would be so now the next thing he does is Dirty Mind, right? So Dirty Mind, uh he's he's had a huge successful album, right? Uh, and then um Dirty Mind comes out. And Dirty Mind does not perform very well. He has no hit songs. He has some dance songs that he's always does well in dance charts. The album was extremely controversial. The, uh, people, you know, like didn't like his image. He got booed off the stage when he opened for the Rolling Stones. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, he, he he had a real rough time of it. And you probably saw him. He actually performed, I think the first time ever he performed on Senate Live in like, uh, you know, assless chaps and, uh, and a jockstrap or something. Right. So he's like really <laughs> not. <laughs> and, you know, so, he, so he's uh, he's very edgy. You know, he kind of jumped uh, into the extremely edgy uh, realm there and he kind of toned it down after that yeah i did um i did hear uh that story about how he was getting booed off the stage um opening for the stones and for a moment there it, he it seemed like he wanted to quit and i think there's an it may be apocryphal but i think uh he he like uh, expressed his frustration to to mick jagger and mick jagger told him to keep doing his thing yeah oh <laughs> um i think dirty mind is the first fully realized kind of like what Prince really defined his image. And then, you know, he did soften it a bit going yeah. forward, but I think that's really the crystallization of like, to me, it's like the first real Prince record that yeah. comes to my mind. Um, this is when the critics really stood up and took notice of him, even as he was kind of maybe taking a, a commercial misstep in a way. But uh, but it still helped his, his reputation. I don't think Warner Brothers was that unhappy, other than some of the controversy. But um, uh, other than that, they were probably pretty happy because he was definitely getting headlines and people were talking about him. Um, my critique of Dirty Mind is that it's a little too overt when he's talking about like sister and he's talking about head. <laughs> you know, like these are as on the nose as you can get. Uh, it's a little too uh, explicit. And my second critique of it is, I think, is um, the production. Like, I know you cr were critical of some production on some of the, his later songs, like his really 80s sounding stuff. This, mm -hmm. I felt like it feels a little too, uh, the production's a little thin compared to how full his the production gets just in, in another album or two, right? So for me, it's it's a little thin. But your pick was Uptown. Yeah. Which was a hit, right? A hit, a hit on the dance charts, not a hit on the radio, obviously, considering the content. Uh, but, uh, you know, when he's like accidentally picking up a guy <laughs> dressed as a woman, like, yeah. it's like, and then he, has, he, has a, he doesn't care. He has a fun night anyway. So that's kind yeah. of like not, not mainstream at the time. <laughs> so um, it, to me, it's like, it is one of the most danceable songs on the record. And it's just got like a great, great hook. And it's, it is, it's funny because 
it's almost like a punk sensibility yeah. to some of it too, mm -hmm. in my mind, because it really is um, it re really embracing kind of counterculture mm -hmm. um, and pushing the envelope on, uh, you know, multiple fronts, uh, you know, as always kind of sexual ambiguity, but then acceptance and also like kind of sticking it to like existing old stodgy power structures or, you know, whatever the norms are um, kind of telling that, t telling that to kiss off, which I really appreciate. So yeah, so I think this is the song he actually performs on Saturday Night Live. And that keyboard, like I said, there's some of the production on this, that keyboard is so, such a sound that I heard like, in my youth <laughs> that yeah. I can't, it, it, it really timestamps it. In a way, once again, it's funny how you just respond to things where some of his more 80s stuff doesn't seem like it has, has, has aged in the same way. Uh, my pick from this album, by the way, is um when you were mine which uh you uh, uh called that a couple of my picks that they have almost like a like a 50s um clap along type uh feel to it you know yeah. uh, later on like even in sign of the times and much later like even some of his more recent albums actually um and this is maybe the first time he did that and it's also very funny the cultural relevance of that song because uh when he broke out and had that giant year when um purple rain came out that just weeks before when Doves Cry went to number one, Cindy Lauper had been at number one. And of course, Cindy Lauper covers this very song on uh, her album, She's So Unusual. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I, you know this? Oh, she has a great oh, cover of it. Let me uh, let me play a little bit of it right now because uh, you're going to like it. Yeah. Yeah. I love this one. Um, like I said, it does have kind of a 50s girl group almost, you know, like uh, the Shirelles or something like that vibe a little bit to it. And um, the guitar is like a rockabilly tone almost. Yeah. On his version. And, so. Yeah. So here's it's Cindy Lauper's version from 1983. So he was already an influence contemporarily. And, you know, she, of course, was a groundbreaker in her own right. And she's actually great talent as well, although she wasn't as famous as she probably people probably expected her to be. But still, this is this is a great album and this is a great song. And I'm going to play a little bit of it right now. And she brings a little more of the punk rock aspect of it.
So that's pretty fun, right? Yeah, that's very cool. Um, and I think you're uh, right, too, that Cindy Lauper is probably a little underrated at this point. But she had a, string, a couple albums there that were just really, really solid. And uh, she's great. Yeah, I'm a, I just love her as a as a person. And it's like, uh, you know, like she didn't probably like you said, she she's had a pretty long career because she's you know done Broadway shows and stuff like that. But I feel like as a pop star, she only kind of had that really one massive moment. And it's too bad because I think she's really, really talented. But this album is, you know, probably honestly, none of her other stuff is as good as this record. This record is really, really great. And I'm going to play a little bit of uh, of Prince's original version. And like you said, there's rockabilly in there, but there's even a little new wave in there too. Exactly, yeah. Sorry, his multi-tracked backing vocals were really what, to me, kind of drew that connection to like a girl group song for the 50s or 60s, early 60s. And he, and he does that so much, uh, like in so much of his music, he does that that multi-tracking of, uh, in much more ambitious ways, like almost like a whole chorus of vocals sometimes. Yeah. Interesting connection to uh, Harry Nielsen there too, because yeah. there's actually... Just going back to that a little bit, but on his, <laughs> sure. or his first record, there was a, an actual review where somebody um, complained that he didn't credit the backing singers. <laughs> it's all funny. Fun. Yeah. So, um, oh, so I wanted to, another thing I wanted to call out here was um, Wendy and Lisa from uh, from the band The Revolution. So what's weird about uh, this specific song, by the way, is he had this on again, off again relationship. Uh, it, still friends with her. Like she made the announcement on Twitter when he died. So she, she was still close with him, was uh, Melanie, I think was her name. Um, uh, and it was Wendy's sister, twin sister, right? So this is so weird, but it's in all his music, by the way. And you'll know this. As soon as if you're not aware of this, you're going to hear it in all his songs or many of them, let's say. That, um, uh, and once again, also autobiographical in Purple Rain. So he had this on again, off again relationship with this girl who kind of strung him along. They were friends. They were, you know... Uh, they had a sexual relationship as well, but she was always seeing other guys, right? She was like, he was always never good enough. So first of all, this kind of like wounded lover that he has, a lot of these songs are in that key. This song is specifically about her. The Beautiful Ones, which I know is on your list and we'll get around to that, is based on her also. A Purple Rain, when he's like saying, you know, you, you, you can't make up your mind. I want you, you know, so why don't you just close it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a great lyric, by the way, amazing lyric. Um, uh, that um, is about her, right? Wow. And uh, and it, it it happens over and over. Oh, one of my favorite songs, which I'll 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 wait till I get there because it's one of my absolute favorite songs of his, and it's also about her, and it's on this list, so we'll get around to it. Right. But um, anyway, so he had this relationship with her, and strange relationship, which is yet another song that we'll look at later, but that's also based around her. So. She haunted his relationship for a very long period of time. And I think really it's some of his strongest work is during this period of time when they were on again, off again. 
So interestingly, to get closer to her, after they had this falling out, he hires her twin sister to be in the revolution. And she's a lesbian, right? Which leads to, and I'm just going to spoil it now, because but it's the If I Was Your Girlfriend song, right? Oh. Which is almost like him projecting, like, you know, what would that relationship be like, right? So anyway, it haunts all his music. And it's it's really incredible that, you know, when you think about these um, biographical aspects in his in his music, and also it's, uh, and it's in, it's in Purple Rain, by the way, right? The plot of Purple Rain is, you know, him yeah. with Apollonia is like, you know, she's basically a surrogate for that whole storyline. Wow, so he's a, his literal muse, essentially. His literal muse, exactly, his literal muse. And it, and uh, you can now like listen, go back and listen to a bunch of his albums, um, Parade and all these other songs, and they're all about her, right? It's like this, this thing is like all over his, her fingerprints are all over. And there were other women in there too, but she really is huge in his mythology, right? Wow, okay, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Glad to be of service. <laughs> okay, so the next uh, song I had, the next sequential song is one of mine again, is Controversy, which I really like Controversy. It was a hit for, first of all, it's a hit. You know, so that kind of began this string of hits he had. Um, it's directly addressing the controversies that have come up before. But most importantly for me, the reason I have it here is that it is, uh, this is the sound that he established um, for the next three, four years that were gonna be so influential in Purple Rain in 1999, the album 1999, and in all those, you know, whether it was Glamorous Life or uh, um, a lot of these other um, songs that he wrote for other people, uh, it's a, it's a the sound, right, that he, he creates. The Minneapolis sound or whatever. It, yeah, exactly. And then of course, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis spin that off and they go produce Janet Jackson and all these other people. So, you know, it kind of extends it even further. But um, uh, but anyway, yeah, so it's, uh, it, it, this, but this is the sound, I think, of, of what's going to come, I should say. Hmm. And you're actually going to hear um, the band. You hear that before he calls in the revolution, but you have the, all the players, you got the, 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 the girl vocalists on the back, the background, and the keyboardists, etc. So the uh, yeah so so what do you what do you think of that song the opening uh, did you had you heard that one before yeah that's another uh, controversy is a, a favorite of mine um, just the album in total but yeah. yeah it's one of the the cooler tracks on that and it really is it's like um, so the previous one dirty mind right kind of like is where he solidifies I think what people associate Prince as being right. And then this kind of doubles down on it in a way. And that song specifically, like you said, it touches on all the reaction basically to his previous work, um, basically to Dirty Mind. And um, I, I like that about it. There's three main fixations, especially at this point. One is sex, obviously. Uh, the second one is the afterlife, right? It's like he was born in a, uh, a very religious family mm. and he had this fear of like being a sinner and... Um, uh, uh, you know, and then the afterlife, like what happens when you when you die, right? 
Uh, so it's like he has this fear of of uh, impending doom. And, and then he's basically having that argument in his music, by the way, right? He's saying like, you know, well, if we're going to die, then, you know, I want to have fun now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Literally explicit in his music. And then, of course, starting here on this album is his fear about, you know, because he's thinking about apocalypses already. It's thinking about a nuclear apocalypse, right? So like controversy has Ronnie talked to Russia before it's too late, right? Which yeah. is about uh, Ronald Reagan, obviously. And this, and Purple Rain is about... Uh, like a uh, like basically nuclear fallout. It's like in his vision, it's the it's a dream he had where after the nuclear bombs go off, there's like a purple haze in the air that um, rains down on everybody, right? And that's so. This is like so. 1999 is the vision of like the end of the world, right? And that's let's you know 2000 party's over. Oops, out of time, right? Let's party like it's 1999. So yeah, so that's undeniably one of his greatest songs, but <laughs> excluded from the, our lists <laughs> because yeah. it was too too big, too, too big. obvious. Um, there, there's an interesting bit of connective tissue just going back mm -hmm. to um, that bit in his biography with the, you know, this kind of strict religious upbringing, and then um, you see that also in uh, artists like Little Richard, um, yep. Marvin Gaye are two that really spring to mind for me where. Um, and more so Marvin Gaye um, explicitly tackled this in his music, but that inner turmoil between the sensual or like earthly pleasures of rock and roll and all that entails versus this really strong spiritual um, obligation almost. Right. And there's, um, you know, I think it's just something that, makes sense as creative fuel because it's that tension that you know leads to new ideas or feeling conflicted feelings that need to be worked out in a song somehow um so i you know it's it's interesting because that's um that's a through line through a lot of rock and roll music i think yeah and probably all of these uh little richard definitely a big influence on him marvin gay sam cook also who had some issues with that as well right mm -hmm. with the carnal and the spiritual you know, a gospel singer, right? But then he like ends up dying, you know, having a fling with some woman in a hotel. Yeah, Al Green, so, Elvis. Yeah, you know. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So I mean, probably in all uh, influences, especially I mean, Little Richard has got to be an extreme influence on him as well. Just when you think about his look that he cultivated at one point, like you oh, know, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, so 1999. Uh, you know, we get to 1999 now. Obviously, this song is a big hit. Little Red Corvette, massive hit. By the way, this album is crazy because it's 1999, Little Red Corvette, which was the next single off the album, Delirious, which was another top 10 hit off the same album in sequence. 
Let's Pretend We're Married, which was his last single off this album. But drugs, music, sex, romance are is a is a dance hit. Automatic is a dance hit. And then we're going to get to the song you have on here. But it's like this album is just packed. Lady Cab Driver, yeah. and like it's just packed with uh, <laughs> with hits. It's crazy. And this is when he's really coming into his full bloom here, because this is the thing is that when you go from 1999, this like very, very funky, but new wave as well. And then this is like, I mean, it's such a classic rock song in a way. It's like really beautiful. Oh, this is like a pure pop. Yeah. But with a great guitar solo. Yeah. And of course, he has got Delirious on here, which is a straight up like new wave. It's so strange that this song, by the way, was like a top 10 hit. I would not have expected it at the time. Posthumously, like Sign of the Times was reissued and Purple Rain was reissued and uh, 1999 was reissued with a lot of extra songs, a lot of extra content. Mm. And I would recommend 1999 is the one of those three that I would highly recommend. There's a lot of songs on the like the not released ones, or maybe they were just B-sides also, that are great. Like I would put them on... They, they, I would swap out some of the main songs for those, as opposed to Purple Rain, which the extra stuff is like, okay, some of it's just extended mixes and stuff, but nothing really blew me away. Um, and, I, and like I said, and so, um, uh, Sign of the Times, which is maybe my favorite album of his, which the extra stuff's not that great because it's already a double album. It's packed with great stuff. It's like, it doesn't yeah. need anything. It doesn't need more. What could he <laughs> add? Um, I'll, I'll check that out, though. I haven't seen, um, I haven't heard the extended cuts on uh 1999 so I'll, I'll yeah so uh yeah so your next uh next pick is something in the water does not compute um so tell me about this song i like this one it's really like super off kilter like the drums are very interesting and then the way he um produces the he the way he records his vocals on this is really really neat too um where you have this uh it's like I don't know if he detuned some of the stuff or whatever, but it's like this really um, kind of robotic vibe. Yep. And, mm -hmm. and his lead vocal gets, uh, you know, more and more impassioned kind of as the song goes by as like a contrast. So it's like this. And the, it just the way he could make drum machine and like program stuff sound also organic. Yeah. Yeah. 
I gotta tell you, out of on 1999, I always kind of skip this song and I really like it. I mean, I don't know why I used to like kind of like not really listen to this song. I I I, I really liked it a lot. I mean it's really interesting actually. Yeah, um, it's weird. I like the um so like I was saying how it kind of has that off kilter feel or you have yeah. um, the drums are really you know solid but it's those weird synth um accents that he does like the weird descending pattern and then these other like can't really tell if it's a drum or just a keyboard yeah um so it's it's interesting how he weaves all these things together and then there's just that swelling synth that kind of ties everything together um and i think it's one of the it's one of the first songs where he drops that like iconic prince scream yeah i, I believe so it, it's a favorite of mine for sure yeah no i i really liked it like i said it's so funny like i just recently when I was revisiting 1999, I think I skipped it. Um, uh, I, I, and I don't know why, because I think I had like some opinion of it where I didn't think it was, but I, I, uh, I really liked it right now. And it actually made, it's almost prototypical to beautiful ones, which I love. And we're going to be talking about it just a minute more. Um, all right. So next song is mine. And now we're, you know, in the thick of it, right. We, he comes off of, uh, 1999 he, he just scored you know three giant hit songs when doves cry it goes straight to number one is a massive hit mm. um then of course he has um let's go crazy another massive hit and then just a, a bunch of songs off of there which we are avoiding because we're once again trying to dodge <laughs> the giant ones um uh but there's a b-side that was so huge and i'm very curious to know if you have this any relationship with this song at all because this song was so huge that even though they drop F-bombs in it like every five seconds, this song got played on the radio. It was like a big radio hit because there was such a, a thirst for more Prince that even though he had his you know two number ones uh, almost simultaneously on the charts, this was also getting played all over the radio also. Uh, and that is um, Erotic City, which was the B-side to, uh, I don't remember if it's Let's Go Crazy. Yeah, and I remember them playing this at my, like I was in grammar school and they had, we had a canteen, like, like a little dance and the DJ played this song. And the, I remember this vividly. The teachers were freaking out, like being like, do not play that song. Like, what are you doing? Right? <laughs> <laughs> but have you heard Erotic City before? Like when, yeah. What what? yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, not at the time, of course, it's, I all went back and listened to this stuff later um, because I think probably for the same reason your teachers were freaking out. Um, <laughs> my parents weren't, um, I don't think they were against Prince, but they, you know, knew he was more risque. And it's funny, um, I do have a distinct memory around this time um, uh, where my father had um, a visitor from work and his company was a Swedish power wheelchair company. So this person came over from Sweden and they had their son with them who was like 20. And we all went out to, to lunch and the um, Swedish, the kid, the 20 year old was really interested about Prince specifically, really into Prince. And I remember him asking my dad about him. And uh, my dad was like, oh, he's, he's really talented, but, you know, he's pretty, uh, pretty risque. Um, so that was like the first, uh, <laughs> first feedback I got from my parents on Prince. I was like maybe seven years old or something at the time, um, or six probably. And uh, yeah, Erotic City, it's like, the best um it's kind of like the best 80s production in my yeah. mind um that captures it it's almost new wave um yeah 
and it's but it's got this uh, still has funk in it and that's the thing touching on um what we said earlier about prince being able to make uh some of the stuff that's totally digital or you know synthetic um feel organic um just by the way he layers stuff um and this is a great example of that because it's it's robotic but it's still undeniably funky because right. it's prince <laughs> <laughs> right and and i totally agree with that i hadn't uh, thought about it in those terms until you just said it before actually but it made me think of erotic city when you talk about the how it's like programmed because like you said it's so pre-programmed there's like probably very little live instruments on it but it feels very raw you know yeah. And uh, it's almost like, in, you know, in a way, it's almost like industrial in, in pre-industrial music, because it's like the, this repetition that doesn't feel rep repetitive, you know, because there's like an urgency to it in some way. And uh, and like you said, it's so the production is so of its time, but uh, it, it, it's one of those things that kind of becomes so of its time that it becomes timeless <laughs> because right. it's yeah. such a, you know, it's a weird kind of uh, um, paradox. Yeah. It's but um, picture yeah. a club in the 80s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or my canteen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been a lot of Speaking of manipulating his vocals. And it was so funny. I remember literally not realizing they were saying the F word. I thought he was saying funk. Not not because I didn't know what the other word was, but I'm like, they can't possibly be saying that <laughs> on the radio. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the, uh, it's a classic move there. Uh, right. Get the funk out of my face. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Get the funk out. <laughs> so your pick, this is one of my very favorite Prince songs, and it is the name of his autobiography. So I think it's one of his favorites also. It's the beautiful ones from Purple Rain. It, it is perfect for a movie because it's really cinematic and kind of grand. The, the, the way yep. it un unfolds and it's it's almost like a ballad but like an inverse ballad mm -hmm. you know yep. um <laughs> so yeah it's just it's great like um yeah probably one of my favorite vocals of prince too yep. just all around because he really he really belts it out but there's also like restraint yeah it's just very sweeping and cinematic so perfect perfect soundtrack you, you think of like a movie when you hear it. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, I remember I did not see the movie when it first came out. I was already getting into movies, even at that early age. So, uh, you know, I was really into the album, but everybody, you know, like the critics were saying, oh, this is a kind of a cheesy movie, whatever. And then girls were all swooning for it and stuff. So I'm like, oh, it's probably some cheesy thing. And I finally saw it. I was older at the time. Years later, I finally saw the movie. And I remember like thinking, ah, eh, this is pretty corny, you know, 
And this performance is really great. Like he on stage when he's like, when he makes that, that turn in the song, which is powerful enough, but on stage when he's actually, you know, saying, do you want him or do you want me? It's like, wow, <laughs> like, you know, it works. Like you said, it's very cinematic. It works. You're like, wow. The I, hair stands so... up on your arms. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, it's <laughs> incredible. And like you said, it's like his restraint, his able, his ability to control it for so long. And it's really like a really pretty vocal. And then like turn it on. It, it's really great. It's yeah, amazing. I love it. Yeah, me too. that unrequited love again. This song, in a way, has like every single thing I love about Prince <laughs> all in one song, right? It's the balladeering, right? Yeah. It's the storytelling and the lyrics, which I really don't, don't think gets appreciated enough. It's the absolute raw, like he is not afraid to completely embarrass himself. Like he's screaming out there and like, you know, his vo vocals are all over the place. I mean, strong vocals, don't get me wrong, but he, he is completely fearless, right? And he's got the guitar in there and he doesn't care. He's like doing, he's doing a ballad. He's doing a, you know, he's throwing a guitar solo in there. Yeah. He doesn't care. Right. And, uh, and it's like everything I like about him all in, <laughs> all in one song, you know? Really? I, and I misspoke before. It's not the inverse of a ballad at all. It's the quintessential Prince ballad. 
Right. Maybe. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. For those reasons. Yeah. It is an inversion in a way, though, because it's not like uh, because it's like, you know, it turns, uh, you know, he, he turns on her. Yeah, I was trying to say something interesting, but, you know, <laughs> no, no, I think I think I think I got your point anyway. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was I was fumbling around there because it is just like such a rawness, like you said, with his vocals, where it's like, man, he, he really sounds like a wounded animal. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I love I love when he I mean I just think about it at the very end there but I was waiting for it uh, before I cut away which was that when he says I'm begging you down on my knees but he's like you could barely hear what he's saying because he's like screaming at the, the, the top of his lungs at that point right it's yeah like, it's crazy yeah, yeah well, it's no it's great and it's just like a continual build-up too to this right amazing uh climax so yeah great yeah. song yeah, that's a great one. That's one of my favorites for sure. I think Beyonce did a cover of it. Oh, she's covered. She that's go goes back to how like you know important an artist he is. You know, he's uh, it, just since we brought her up, but he's she's covered this. She covered um, "If I Was Your Girlfriend," and what, "If I Was a Boy" is a direct reference to "If I Was Your Girlfriend," right? So it's like ah. um, it hurt. Yeah, so. they had that great performance together too. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. They ran through a bunch of stuff. Was that the Grammys? I forget if that was the Grammys or I think yeah, I think so. Um, and they did like let's go crazy um and then uh it segued into a beyonce track at one point i don't know i need to rewatch that i should have looked at that beforehand but that's a oh there's there's so much to watch yeah. to be honest with you <laughs> if you wanted to catch it all it'd be impossible before i move on before purple rain my, my last track from purple rain hold on of course this one's not a surprise i don't think but it's darling nikki once again you know, so influential. It's been covered a bunch of times, the Foo Fighters and a bunch of other folks as well. Um, uh, you know, the guitar sound in this song is great. Um, and, and yeah, anyway, tell me, I, I can talk about this song, obviously, and, and it's pretty obviously a choice, but let me, uh, you know, I'm curious to know what your perspective on this one. Yeah, um, again, it's kind of uh, Prince creating a genre, basically, um, and establishing that. It's not really R&B, it's almost metal yeah you know like a slow not thrash or anything obviously but um and again it's one of um you know his story songs and we'll probably touch on we'll touch on this again obviously because it just is a through line throughout his career but um you know like the Joni Mitchell influence yeah I think um and even Bob Dylan um play some portion of his lyrical kind of uh dna um and i think you know you wouldn't confuse darling nikki necessarily for a Joni mitchell song well, <laughs> coyote's pretty close um but yeah no this this is a, a really good one as they all are i need to stop we need to stop saying great song like yeah this is what yeah that's the problem with it too right it's just like it's, it's the, of, the bench is so deep we're not <laughs> adjectives but yeah yeah this one's really cool too and like the way it um like slowly opens that when it and then just right. kind of setting it up and again like he does these great um build-ups to these crescendo moments and and tracks that just blow you away because it, it's all like a slow wind up and then boom like he's into this face melting guitar solo <laughs> screaming <laughs> you know it's just like Whoa. It's... 
And once again, I didn't really think about this either until you just said it, but it's so true that what's amazing about Purple Rain is that he is giving you that, you know, crescendo on every song, right? Whether it's when Dove's Cry ends on that, you know, guitar solo, which then goes into a keyboard solo, right? Yeah. Or when you're doing Let's Go Crazy, which like loses its mind in the last 30 seconds or so, which is insane, right? And starts with that organ and that whole, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, obituary or whatever at the beginning. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, that, that, and, and you know, the buildup there and, uh, but like darling Nikki, like you said, but we just heard it on, even on, uh, on the, the beautiful ones, right. It's like, hmm. it's this building, building, and it doesn't feel like repetitive at all. I mean, and of course, purple rain, purple rain, of course, right. Yeah. It's like, it's just the biggest crescendo of them all. Right. So it's, it's, yeah. it's incredible. And that's, that's awesome because, you know, um, it's not, e- I, I think, that really also speaks to his confidence, right? Yeah. Because a lot of times you want to get that, that hook right into people um, and, you know, hit them over the head and then go from there. Whereas like for, yeah, the majority, basically the entirety of the purple rain album in particular is just all these building moments. Right. uh, And they all like go off like fireworks at the end. There's no like fade out. If you, look at the how it starts that first like 30 second portion you know there's some synths but then it's basically just him and some pretty subdued drums until the guitar kicks in and then about 45 seconds in that's when the whole band jams and then at the end i don't know if there's like a delay effect or it sounds like someone uh, doing double kick drums and it's almost like punk speed so just amazing yeah just a again this killer build-up from you know an acapella uh, you know acapella and drums moments really it's like oh okay my head just got blown so She was a sex fiend I met her in a hotel lobby Masturbating with a magazine She said, how'd you like to waste some time And I could not resist When I saw little Nikki grind This is the uh, interesting discovery you made. Yeah, I thought that was a fun little thing. Um, obviously, I'm not the first person to ever discover that, but 
um, when I heard it, it was the first time I had heard it. So what's so funny is that I'm sure, you know, obviously at the time, I remember being very curious as to what it was, but the, you know, people were trying to pull, you know, spin the record backwards with their finger and stuff. And, uh, and I didn't have vinyl. <laughs> I had a cassette. So, um, but uh, I didn't, uh, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't aware of it. And, you know, this is before the internet. So I'm sure it's been around for a while. Like you said, it's pretty easy to, to invert the audio, but somehow I had never actually looked it up. And, uh, but then when you sent me that, you know, that flip of the audio, which, you know, we'll drop it in here for the audience, but I remember explicitly, I'll just let it play through, but it's about like him basically, like I, I know that Jesus is coming basically, right? It's about the second coming of Christ, which, uh, you know, of course he became a Jehovah's Witness later. Um, but it's like, you know, he's once again, just this fixation he's had for a very long time to, um, uh, uh, on that topic. Unlike Prince, I am not confident that the Lord is coming soon. As a matter of fact, I think he might be taking a very slow train. But I can promise you that our next episode will be coming relatively soon. As a matter of fact, sooner than you think. Like I mentioned earlier, Mayor of Easttown, recap episode four, will be dropping probably Monday. But check the feed over the weekend. I will be having a Mother's Day recommendation episode which is just pure recommendations. So there's a lot of things I've been watching that I think uh, are fun to catch up with, podcasts, TV shows, things that you might want to watch with your kids if you are a mother, uh, things that you may like to catch up with, and uh, just recommendations for anyone, whether you're a mother or not. So thanks for tuning in again. Look forward to hearing from you. If you happen to drop me an email, I'd really appreciate it. Feel free to drop us an audio memo if you'd like. And we may use it in a future episode. And check in next week for the follow-up Prince episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing all this music. I certainly did enjoy revisiting it.